0: I am a woman with enough grit to understand that I'm worth my own respect and attention when it comes to my career. I'm a woman who believes that building connections within our industry, regardless of agency or client affiliation, will create the momentous change we are all craving. I'm a woman who wants to leave it better than I found it, regardless of what it is. I help lead a fiercely independent agency, Space 150, with offices and people I respect across the U.S. I am brave, I am honest, I am a work in progress, I am wrong, a lot, and I'm okay with that. I'm General Manager of Space 150, hello, my name is Erin Farrell. Celebrating the work, lives, and achievements of women in Western North America, The Drum presents Exceptional Women Out West, hosted by The Drum North America Editor-at-Large, Doug Zanger.
1: Let's go with three questions here. Let's start with the first one. What's something that you've learned recently, either personally or professionally, that has surprised you?
0: Well, I would say, so the last year has had a tremendous amount of change for me personally and professionally. I, I've had three significant um, role changes within, within my position. So it was initially kind of expanding and then handing off a department that I had worked on um, and worked with for well over a decade. And then eventually leading myself to this general manager position in New York. So living this kind of cross U.S. lifestyle, you know, being in, in Minneapolis at our headquarters half of the time and then traveling to New York. The thing I have definitely recognized and learned has been that confidence and comfort are two completely separate things. And I felt, I think for most of my career, the more comfortable I was, the more confident I was that I was the best at my job in that scenario. And shifting to this kind of cross U.S. lifestyle and really being thrown into, you know, a city and and a lot of things that were unfamiliar to me, plus having such a kind of a larger role... I found that actually the more comfortable I got with being uncomfortable, the more confident I became. Mm-hmm. So really making sure that I wasn't ever really confusing the two, that uncomfort didn't mean that I couldn't be right. confident in my role and that I couldn't you know, push forward or, or again, just be comfortable with being uncomfortable. <laughs>
1: right. What's interesting about comfort is sometimes that can lead to complacency.
0: Absolutely. The most probably when I when I shifted out of leading project management, which again was that role that I'd had for so long, because it was scary. And I wanted right. to, in some ways, revert back to that because I was comfortable there. And so I thought, okay, that's how I know I'm good at my job. Right. But yeah, really kind of just continuing to push myself and those around me out of that was
1: good. What's the most important decision that people, and by extension, women can make in their careers and why is that
0: for me and what I've seen and how I've grown within this industry and the the women around me so specifically talking to women personally I believe that mentorship is something that we have this kind of overwhelming spotlight on Mm -hmm. Um, you know there's a whole chapter in lean in that's focused on like will you be my mentor and and how kind of overwhelming that can be for people on either side of the coin so I've kind of started to come around to the fact that I think mentorship in that you know, perspective is a myth. And I think it's actually about growing and building a tribe. I call them a tribe of people yeah. around you that are in all, you know, all genders, all levels, but that are really there to help push you and to call you on your BS and to help you know what you're good at and to push you into those circumstances that may be a bit uncomfortable. You know, in in Minneapolis alone, I have a lot of women that I connect with that are not at my agency and, quite frankly, in some cases are competitors of mine, but are also people that I would consider part of my tribe that, you know, are willing to, and we are willing together to really push one another and to support one another. Mm And I've seen in building that mentality versus just looking to someone above me to really guide this kind of perfect path of a career, I've seen my personal growth and the growth of our agency really explode because of that.
1: I think there's probably someone in that tribe that we both know. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Pris- probably Christine. a few. Yeah. Christine. <laughs> yeah.
1: Christine Fructi yeah. from, uh, Colton she's, McCoy.
0: she's extraordinary. I yeah, mean, I Christine, know. there's, there's women. I mean, honestly, there's Stacy Janicki at Carmichael. And I mean, there's just women all over that city that are truly, truly extraordinary people. And whether, you know, you're the best of friends of them or just quite frankly, you just know that they're there. Right. And you know that that position is possible. It means a lot.
1: What's nice about Minneapolis is like where I live, Portland, a little bit more on the progressive side. Yes. So it's it's easier to have those exploratory conversations that actually yield fruit.
0: Yes. Instead yep.
1: of circuitous, yes, let's, let's just talk about it and do nothing.
0: Right, exactly. And I think you know the the women that the men and women that I know within that community. There's a there's an organization called Minneapolis Mad Women um, that's built off kind of the right. Mad man, right, um, right. Uh, mentality. But their whole goal is to really make these connections across um, across the different agencies and and different industries. And I think having that type of support network that says. Sure, there's competition here, but that can be healthy. And really the end game is for all of us to get better. Totally. Again, has been, you know, really kind of looking personally to seek out people to say, I want you to be a member of my tribe because I respect you or I'm interested in what you do or you're wildly different than I am. Again, has has led to a lot of growth.
1: What are you and I going to be talking about in? Well, let's use twenty. I'm using the sort of 2020. Yeah. I guess <laughs> why not? Uh, what should we be talking about in four years? And you know, it's what should we be talking about? What will we be talking about? And why is that?
0: Sure. So, what I hope we're talking about is a, a monumental and fundamental change and increase in diversity of the ad industry in general. 2020 can feel very close, but then when you think about it, you do look back at something like, you know, Lean In was written three years ago, right. and the 3% conference is just over, you know, five, six years old, and look at the tremendous amount of change that they've been able to make in that that period of time, right. and everyone's writing about diversity right now, and everyone's saying it's a, you know, it's it's the top of their food chain in terms of things that they're focused on, but to me, it takes more than just individual agencies or individual Mm -hmm. marketing institutions committing to something and saying like, hey, this is important to us. Like, that's absolutely important. But I also think that there is an aim to say, Look at something from a regional perspective, you know, look at, look at Minneapolis, which has an extraordinarily strong and welcoming community for the LGBTQ community from a racial diversity perspective, we are far behind. And so to truly make change means many of us banding together and across agencies and across, you know, ownerships and all of that to make it, make it a city that's attractive for all and welcoming to all. So that is that's the type of change that I, I hope that we are talking about, because, frankly, if we are not if our meeting rooms don't look like the people we are talking to, it's not even a matter of will our work be as good. That's definitely part of it. You right. know, but it's we're not we're going to run out of relevancy
1: Totally. as an industry. So. Yeah. Let's go to the must list. What is <laughs> a must do?
0: I believe travel, 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 travel. And I think travel kind of gets this like, okay, it's got to be, you know, oh, this huge trip I just took to, to Europe. And, and to me, it's not actually oh, It can be
1: all. Menominee, Wisconsin. It can be
0: Menominee. <laughs> uh, it, it, it is. Sometimes it's just, it's getting out. I think it's just getting out of the thing you do every day. And it yep.
1: forces you
0: to learn who you are. In a setting that is not your own, and it forces you to make decisions in a way where you know, go to a place that doesn't speak your language. It's like, oh wow, this is how I operate in that type of environment. To be a minority somewhere is something extraordinary mm-hmm. that many of us have not felt, and I think it's important that we uh, put ourselves in that situation. So, to me, I think travel is just a huge component to well-rounded, empathetic, worldly thinking.
1: I worked at a hip hop radio station for six years. Awesome, and. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, When you look at my picture, you're like, really? (laughs) It was the greatest six years personally and professionally that I've ever had. Absolutely. And it was funny because you talk about travel, but there was also sort of that that mental travel, that metaphysical travel where I was within a culture in my own country that I didn't know much about.
0: That's extraordinary. I, you know, I've had a similar experience in, in traveling even to New York. I mean, when we walk into a room in New York and there is a thousand different colors and languages and all of those things being spoken, you automatically are finding yourself with a human connection to someone you mm-hmm. normally wouldn't. And that's that can only push you farther to your point in, in both your you know, physical space, but in your mental space as
1: well. What's a must experience?
0: I believe a, a different discipline than your own. I played hockey in college, and we used oh, to. Oh, jeez,
1: you're just playing the Minnesota cliche <laughs> no, all the way here, aren't no, right no, you? No, I'm kidding. You know, I'm joking. I'm joking. I grew
0: up in that. But one of the extraordinary things our coach did is we would have we had a practice every year where every single person on the team would play a different position than their own. Oh,
1: oh <laughs> my soccer coach did the same yeah, thing. Yeah, so right. Yeah. So the
0: goalies would skate out, and the D right. would play forward, and vice versa. And it was, you know, it was a fun practice, but it was really meant to show you, like. This is what it feels like to be, quite frankly, on the other side of the blue line or in the net. And that sort of appreciation for someone else's role until you've done it. You can't imagine being there. So I love when I find a creative who has said, oh, you know, I actually I started in media and now I've Mm -hmm. shifted into creative. Or I'm a creative that's really interested in development or a project manager that used to be a photographer. Whatever that thing is, I think the more ways you can cross boundaries and disciplines, the more well-rounded your work becomes.
1: What's a must read?
0: It's Not How Good You Are, It's How Good You Want to Be by Paul Arden. It's a good one. It's a great one. This book was given to me by a friend in the industry a number of years ago. And when I read it, I was like, oh, my gosh, all of these things that I felt other people have felt. And, and, uh, you know, it was so kind of comforting. It was also a little humbling to know that I wasn't super special and (laughs) other people had felt it. But it's such a great, quick and short read. And it's one that actually in um, the New York office that I lead... Every new person that starts, I give that to them and I can mark a page that I think is most relevant to where they are in their journey. And it's one that I oftentimes find myself going back to as that reminder of it's not about where we are right now, but it's where we want to be.
1: I like that there is, uh, the book has come up quite a bit and I like that it is... A reference as yeah. well. It's not just one of those breezy things. Totally. It's something that you consistently go back to. Absolutely. it's like, oh, what page was that on? Yeah, and that exactly. Sort of something.
0: Exactly. And I love that. You know, it's definitely written from a creative point of view, if right. you will. But it's it's applicable to any role, and especially just creative problem solvers
1: in general. What's a must learn?
0: I think humility. I love the phrase of work hard, stay humble. It's a little
1: swagger's okay. A little so. swagger
0: for sure. But I think even. Yeah, I think just knowing, and again, just knowing that we're not at our end state at any given point, that we're always learning and we're always pushing, and that oftentimes... We can be wrong, and we can also be extraordinarily right. But the way that we handle ourselves right. in either situation is should be pretty similar.
1: The humility comes from acknowledging when you're wrong,
0: exactly, and
1: doing something productive with yep. it. That's what I. It, and it's funny because I think that humility and empathy live mm-hmm. in the same apartment complex. <laughs>
0: yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Even just uh, last week, I had a in our office one of one of the designers reached out to me and said, you know. Aaron, we'd really love to get some insight on what you're, you know, how you're thinking the business overall is going this year and where, you know, where we're at overall. And, and she said, you know, I see you like you're a freight train of work. Your head is down every day, you know, like you're just, you're working so hard. And it was kind of that reminder of like, we want to shoulder this burden as well. Mm-hmm. But it was that reminder also to say, like, I could say to the team, you know what, I was wrong in trying to shield you from the work that I was doing. I was wrong in, in not giving you as much insight as I could, even when I didn't maybe necessarily have the news. So, right. yeah, Humility.
1: What's a question you've never been asked before that you would love someone to ask you and what would the answer be?
0: (laughs) Well, I guess I'll ask it of myself (laughs) now. So um, when did you become a feminist is one that rings true to me because I think as I've grown in my career and certainly as people have come to know me or know of me, I think we, again, kind of tend to think people are in this end state and, you know, Aaron's been this like amazing feminist her whole life and pushing boundaries. And, you know, for me, quite frankly, like, I really struggled with that term for a long time. I really hid from it and completely based on my own misunderstanding of what it meant. And so for me, the moment I became a feminist, even through all these other actions, when I look back and go, you know, I I played hockey and I did these things and I led these groups and I, you know, always, always pushed super hard to be in the right positions. It was the moment, literally the moment that I found out I was pregnant with a girl. When I had my daughter, Olivia, so she's three now, but for some reason, the moment I heard those words of it's a girl, it all just became wildly clear. Uh-huh. This is not about me. This is about helping to create a world for her mm-hmm. that she can do absolutely anything that her brother or her dad or her cousins or I can do. And as soon as I embraced that, it was amazing the people around me that would say, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm a feminist, too. And like, oh. Yeah. Okay. Aaron's now kind of talking about that. Like, you know, so yeah, for me, that was the moment.
1: It's interesting because the word feminism automatically people, they default to Gloria Steinem and that's great. And (laughs) Gloria Steinem obviously is legendary, but it's interesting because I've been called a feminist and it's, and at first I kind of tilted my head, like, you know, golden retriever puppy, like, really? And it's like, Oh wait. Yeah. you know, now that I understand the actual meaning of it, sure it's yeah i mean of, of course yeah and why wouldn't one right. be you know, right. any rational human being not just in this industry but any industry yeah. that's that's super male dominated yeah you know why wouldn't you be
0: right and there's for me i mean there's a number of men on my leadership team that they're extraordinary feminists and i mm-hmm. think they would never have thought of themselves like that until we started having the conversation right. for me to look at somebody and go you are one of the biggest feminists I know. Like look at the look at the opportunities you've helped carve out for me or the people around you or your daughters. Right. So, yeah.
1: I, I get the daughter thing. Yeah. Big yeah. time. Yeah. <laughs> Here's where I compliment you in doing research on you for this particular show. The work obviously stands out. Mm-hmm. And I'm originally from Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. So, I'm a little bit partial. <laughs> And I think that what I love about what you do, obviously the work really stands out. But what I also like is that you have this really nice balance between... The Minnesota nice, mm-hmm. right? We mm-hmm. all know what the Minnesota nice is. Mm-hmm. I was walking in the airport in Minneapolis. There was a woman you know, around there, were like 10 of us, and she sneezed, and everybody said, bless you <laughs> at the same time. That's what Minneapolis nice It would just, it nice would just be
0: rude not to. Right. It, yeah.
1: would just, it would just be rude not to, and everybody handed her a Kleenex. It was, it was very polite. But what I love is that you're able to balance that with... And again, it's, Mm -hmm. this isn't meant to be an aspersion by any stretch, but sort of that New York thing. Yeah. It's a sort of really interesting balance where you have both. And it's such a nice blend because it retains focus. There's like, there's like this, you know, you had done uh, an interview in Minneapolis Mad Women. One of the things I loved is never apologize for caring. Mm. To me, that balances Mm -hmm. both the more East Coast kind of vibe and Mm -hmm. the Minneapolis vibe because caring. Yeah. Not necessarily not a New York trait, but yeah. more you know, more focused on the Midwest, but you know never apologizing is definitely a New York yeah. kind of thing. So I yeah. love that balance between it and yeah. I think that that's super hard to do. Mm-hmm. First of all. Yeah. But from pe- uh, people that I've talked to, you know, said so she just sure. she just balances it. She's just so caring and yeah. but she just gets shit done. Yeah. And that's uh you know, not to distill it down into profanity there, but no. but that's where I compliment you. Is that fairly accurate?
0: I hope so. I would think so. And I should note that my favorite T-shirt right now says "Minnesota nice AF." So Minnesota nice as fuck, which I do think right. is is pretty <laughs> that's pretty a accurate way of saying it. <laughs> it's a pretty accurate way yeah. of, of describing as me. Fudge, you know. <laughs> as fudge. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. I mean, thank you. Absolutely. I, and it's it's a balance that I think I've homed and figured out over the course of my career. Takes I think it, yeah, it takes a lot of time in the course of my life. I think you know certainly, in college and and in the early years of my career, I was much more on the never apologizing side and mm. more of this just kind of.
1: I think it's a college thing. Yeah, yeah you know, and it's,
0: and and being afraid to be wrong and all right. of those things and the combination of. Landing at Space 150, which to me was this kind of, and still is 10 years later, this magical place where people are just rewarded and encouraged to be themselves. So that being there and then having a family and having friends within work that I care deeply about, yeah, that balance has just kind of found itself. And it's it's definitely where I feel the most comfortable It's also super scary sometimes. Like there are times where I find myself going like, oh, am I involved too much in this? Or am I worried too much about this other thing? But more times than not, it it has benefited uh, me and I I think the people around me as well.
1: Every guest on the show gets a chance to talk about whatever they want for a couple minutes. Oh, okay. Without further ado, the floor (laughs) is yours.
0: I would love to, and especially in the, Of the the political world that we're in right now. Oh boy. Oh boy. No, I'd love to just talk a little bit about being intentional. And I find with women in particular, there can be this impression or this feeling that, like, somehow being intentional is too cold. It's too cutting. It's too calculated. And I find, and that somehow, like, kind of being laissez faire or a little bit more laid back is this really, like, oh, this very accepting and, you know, strong trait. And for me, I look at it and say, being intentional is not only an attractive trait to become a leader in whatever way that means for you personally, but it's an absolute necessary one. If you're not intentional about the things that you care about, that you go after, the people around you, the work, it just all becomes kind of muddled and it all becomes gray. So I think for me, what I would love to have, and and I coach other, you know, myself in the mirror (laughs) and other women around me and men around me is to say, Really, what are you trying to get out of this very specific thing? Intentionally, where do you want to go? It's okay to put a very specific goal in mind and go after it and run hard at it. Uh, You have to be aware of, you know, what you're creating in your wake and around you, but it's absolutely okay to do that and to, you know, make a stand or, or put a stake in the ground. So I think intentionality is something I would love to see become more of a positive trait, specifically when we're referencing and evaluating female leadership as much as we do male.
1: Much like the must list, (laughs) a little more advice to wrap up the show. What is your last word?
0: We talked a little bit about it earlier when we talked about humility, but I think it's empathy. A lot of women will come to me and, and ask, you know, what's the advice would you give me in my career? And I think it is a bit of the never apologize for caring. The strongest personal traits that we have, although they may be more genetic in nature, that that empathy and caring is an extraordinary tool for us and just because it comes easier doesn't mean that we should shy away from it and find ways to fold it into your own leadership style that feels right but yeah I would just say embrace that don't be scared of it don't allow it to make you feel soft that you can be just as intentional as you can be empathetic and caring.
1: Aaron, thank you for coming out to the Drum Out West studios, the outdoor studios. It's beautiful. The neighbor's chickens were quiet this entire time. <laughs> I wanted to point that out. So future interviews, if you do hear chickens in the background, nice. that's, that's what that is. Nice. It, this is a very Portland yeah. thing for sure. But thank you very much for the time. Really appreciate it. And oh. best wishes for continued success.
0: Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure.